BTB listeners, thank you so much for checking out today's episode. Listen, if this episode inspires you, do me a favor and take five seconds to shoot me a like and subscribe to the podcast. There are several more exciting guests that are in the pipeline, and I just can't thank you enough for your continued support, and let's keep paying the mission forward. Today, I interview Josh Berger. He comes from an extensive sports psychology background, and we're going to talk about self-talk techniques, developing short and long-term goal-setting strategies, meditation, mindfulness, and both the game of tennis, sport, and in life. He has such an inspiring story coming from being a college athlete, seeing a need in the mental toughness side of the game, and filling that need by getting a master's degree and going off and helping people in psychology. This is an exciting episode, you will learn more about yourself and how to optimize the mental side in your respective sport and in your life. Let's get into it. On today's episode of the BTB Project, today's guest has a journey that includes an exceptional all-conference tennis player at Clark University. He earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and his pursuit of excellence led him to California State University, Long Beach, where he obtained a master's degree in sports psychology. During that time, he conducted groundbreaking research on mental toughness in college sports. He is a thriving sports psychologist and founder of Tennis Psych, an esteemed organization offering top-notch sports psychology services to athletes and teams of all sports, ages, and skill levels. As a co-host of Tennis IQ Podcasts, he knows all about the critical mental aspects of tennis and sports performance. With coaching experiences at prestigious locations like the International Tennis Hall of Fame and as a Division I level coach at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, He brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. Josh Berger, welcome to the BTB Project. Don't be afraid of the dark. Be careful with stars. Not every light is gonna guide you. Welcome to the BTB Project, designed to empower listeners to identify their why and to live their best lives no matter the circumstances. My name is Coleman Gerhardt. A former athlete and motivational coach, I've had the opportunity to inspire thousands through my story and help accomplish what they are built to be. You'll be encouraged by each and every episode, and let's get into it. Yeah, when I blow up, I'm a sore high like Peter Pan. In real life, be living all my dreams if I'm waking up in a foreign land. Sometimes in my life, I am able to come across folks that. I believe are just doing tremendous things. And on the BTB project, I've had a lot of special guests, former players, coaches, ones that have impacted, you know, the sport of tennis, but more importantly, impacted lives. And I came across today's guest actually as putting more of my entrepreneurial spirit hat on. You know, I'm relatively new to the podcast world and this gentleman has a lot more reps under his belt. And it's just a tremendous pleasure to bring the founder of Tiebreaker Psych and who I believe is one of the best in the business when it comes to tennis and sports psychology, Josh Berger. Welcome to the BTB Project. Thank you, Coleman. I I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the invite onto the podcast and uh, I'm really excited to, to, to talk with you today. Excellent. And as we were talking before we hopped on, it's exciting to hear that you're in Colorado, not too far from me and, and Boulder and, you know, sharing a little bit of your journey about how you got there and, you know, your, your playing past in college and your coaching experience, which led to your studies and really becoming, you know, a student of the game of what's going on between the ears, not only with your own tennis games, but with other athletes. So I'd love to start there and maybe get the listeners up to speed on what you're up to and what has really ignited this passion in sports psychology. 
Yeah, totally. Um, I guess I could go either uh, backwards and, and sort of start with where I'm at now or start from the beginning. Maybe I'll go backwards because I feel like usually telling my story, I sort of start from the beginning. So Perfect. Um, starting more recently, uh, yeah, I'm the the founder and, and sports psychology coach of Tiebreaker Psych and work with different types of athletes, uh, probably 50 to 60% tennis players and then athletes of all different sports and, uh, you know, athletes of different levels, different ages as well. And, you know, work with them all about sports psychology, all about building different mental skills to help with their performance. You know, there's some people in the sports psychology space that really focus on mental health and some that really focus on the performance side. I'm, I'm on the performance side of things and yeah, really try to, to help athletes, you know, develop just like, just like they develop different physical skills on the court. And we can talk about, you know, that in terms of, you know, my coaching background and, and some of that type of stuff, but yeah, trying to build, build and develop um, mental skills in a similar way. So as Coleman said, I, I moved to Boulder uh, in December um, and have really been loving it out here. It's a great place to live, great quality of life. I know I'm not telling you anything that, that you don't know, <laughs> Coleman. It's Colorado's, you know, certainly lives up to the hype in in, in many, many ways. And uh, yeah, be- before before moving out here, there was, uh, yeah, a period of time where I was, you know, sort of bouncing around a little bit, you know, traveling as I, you know, worked remotely. Before that, I was coaching uh, at a number of different places, coached at the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island. Before that, I was coaching at the Division One level for a couple of years at Sacred Heart University as the assistant coach for their men's and women's tennis teams. Mm. Uh, before that, coached at a couple of places in the... Uh, in the Bay area and a couple places in, you know, a couple other places in the Northeast, but yeah, really come to sports psychology from this coaching background, but also from a, you know, in terms of my playing background, you know, I think I was a, a decent junior, but certainly never one of the best. And, you know, I think at, at a certain point just started to realize that the mental game was, was important. You know, I, I think I, in certain ways, I feel like I did well, mentally and then in certain ways maybe i i didn't i, I would <laughs> yep. definitely get pretty tight and, and nervous at times and i would see people around me that would get you know really frustrated and angry and started realizing pretty early that that this the mental side of the game was was quite important so that that sort of started started the journey but it's it's fun looking backwards at it all yeah i think that's well said because as you were talking about your playing career, it made me reflect on mine. And a lot of the things that I do, Josh, now as a coach is 180 degrees different than what I did as a player. You know, I'm the guy that has a a smash racket from the last match of my collegiate career downstairs, hanging uh, right by the gym to remind me of all of the (laughs) trials and tribulations that the game of tennis has taken me. But I've really tried to understand some of the, you know, maybe missteps or, or situations in my career to where I wish I had somebody feed into me maybe a little bit different. You know, maybe have me realize the importance of finding calmness in the state of chaos, finding the ability to have alignment when things are not going your way. And we were able to chat about that a little bit too before we hopped on is, you know, this this is, yes, the game of tennis has connected us, but at the same time, the ability to help people in their life is what has truly resonated with me. And I want to kind of get your two cents on this because, you know, the BTB project is a question that I've asked clients for many years that I've helped. It's an open-ended question. What are you built to be? What are you built to become? And that's how I start most of my interactions with anybody that I help on and off the court. So when I talk about an open-ended question like that, and the expertise that you have and the time that you spend with your clients, what is your opinion on that approach and what kind of approach do you use to learn more about how you can help people? It's a great question. I, yeah, I I think I can definitely resonate, you know, quite a bit with that idea that, you know, this is a lot, this is, yes, it's about tennis, but it's about a lot more than that. It's about, you know, how can we really, become the best versions of ourselves and how can tennis help us get there? Um, and I think that's something, uh, you know, I, I certainly try to talk to my, you know, to clients that I work with quite a bit in terms of, you know, different types of athletes. Um, also on, I, I know you mentioned uh, our podcast earlier, Tennis IQ podcast, where, you know, me and uh, and Dr. Brian Lomax, we talk about 
different things relating to the mental side of the game, but it, you know, there's often sort of an undercurrent of yeah, that tennis is something that we do, but it's not right. who we are. How'd you come you know, across him, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so it was it was in. I, I would like love to get back to um to to the to the rest of your question because I I think there's right. that's definitely thought provoking. But yeah, Brian and I is actually a funny story. We connected in twenty in about I think May of twenty twenty. You know, pretty early on in the pandemic. We both, I think, were familiar with each other. I was in Connecticut. He was in Massachusetts, so we weren't too far away. But we were on a sports psychology webinar uh, with about 20 people, and different people introduced themselves. And we started realizing we were actually both sports psychology professionals that you know focused on tennis, and we were both coaching tennis in the same conference. We, I was at Sacred Heart University. He was at Bryant University, both in the you know any NEC conference. Um, and yeah, we, we started, we, we realized we had a lot in common. So we set up a time to talk and, uh, one thing led to another and we, we launched the podcast shortly after. No, that's awesome. And yeah, I know I'm jumping a little bit to, to that portion because I think tennis IQ is a fantastic listen. I highly suggest folks that are, uh, tuning into Josh and I right now to check that out. And I'll make sure to leave the link to the podcast, uh, in the notes of today's episode, but jumping back into that kind of open-ended question and how you're really engaging people that you're trying to help, I'd love to hear what your approach is and your thoughts are on that built-to-be question. I think it's a fantastic question. I'm, I'm glad. And, and first of all, thank you for the, the kind words about the podcast. But yeah, I think it's a fantastic question. And I, I like that, that yeah, the, the B2B project is, is based on that in this podcast. And I think it's... Yeah, I think it's it's something that everybody should ask themselves. What am I built to be? What I, I sort of see it as a combination of of things, um, almost like the and maybe this is a little bit out there, but almost like the the concept of ikigai, the the Japanese concept of you know sort of a, a combination of you know of of different things, right? And, and I think this is sometimes used. When people think about, you know, what type of career should I get into? And it's, you know, it's sort of a combination of what are you good at? You know, what do you love? What the world needs? And, you know, what what can you be paid for? What How can you, you know, how can you make a living with it? So it's like, you know, how can you, can you think about these four different pieces and through that, understand what are you built to be? And I think right. that looks a little bit different for each person. I don't think that's a you know, one size fits all approach. I think each person through their unique experiences, through their strengths, through their interests, through, you know, what they identify as, you know, ways that they can help and make a difference that I think they, you know, each person can sort of figure out for themselves or maybe with, you know, the help of, of a coach or, you know, getting assistance in this area, I think could be very valuable. Um, but figuring out, you know, what is your niche? What is your area right. where you, can really be the best version of yours yourself and help others and really and really make an impact both in terms of you know your own growth and and the growth of others. So I, I love that question. Yeah, and I think it's important to say that once that why is established, I believe it can overcome any how. But to your point, adding practical steps and day-to-day -day action to be able to accommodate that why is why it's important to have a coach, to have a psychologist, to have people in a support system around you to be able to keep you accountable, to keep you focused on really what the end game is with that why. And I want to dive just a little bit into some of the ways that you're able to do that with your clients and with the people that are resonated on, on your podcast. And this first one is self-talk techniques. I come from a background of positive affirmations. You know, when I grew up, I did a good job of internalizing, of talking myself down, of having limiting beliefs. And it's amazing how when we have those thoughts in our mind that it can create a physical outcome, whether it's in our respective sports or how we're approaching life. So I'd love to hear on maybe some of the self-talk techniques that you like to implement with your clients and maybe what you've used yourself. Great question. Great question. I think it all starts, I think like, like 
like many areas of life, I think it all starts with awareness. I think once we can be aware of what's happening right now, then we can start moving in, in the, the direction of, of making change. And I think self-talk is, is no different. So, you know, an exercise I will often do with people is to have them try to, you know, think about what are some of the specific moments where your self-talk gets in your way or doesn't necessarily help you. You know, that could be a moment where maybe you're not playing so well. Mm. You know, you're not, you, you know, you're capable of a certain level of tennis and you're not reaching that. Or maybe it's a moment where you just lost a big point, or maybe it's right before you play and the nerves and anxiety you're starting to take over. So can we start to, or maybe it's, you know, a number of other situations. Can we start to identify what are those situations and then can we actually write down what are you saying to yourself? What are some of the examples of some of the things that you're saying to yourself in those situations? So that's that's generally where I start. And then I think there's different tools that athletes can use and happy to talk more about that. And then, you know, that last step is can athletes really start to actually write down how they want to talk to themselves in, mm. in some of these situations? Why, why seven, is it important to write it down? I, I really resonate with that. I think it's I think it's a lot more impactful. I think there there is something about writing it down and then actually being able to read it back mm. in the moment where you know we these thoughts bounce around in our heads constantly and I think a lot of the research shows that you know we have thousands and thousands of thoughts a day and the vast majority of those thoughts are actually negative and tend to be more repetitive. So we're very used to having those thoughts but not very used to writing them down, not very used to having to read them back. And I think once they're written down, then, you know, they can be used as a tool, maybe not so much the some of the negative things. But once we can set an intention for ourselves for how we want to talk to ourselves, in some of these specific moments, then, you know, we can use that as a tool or as a resource. And, you know, that could be something that we look at before we play in a match as sort of a reminder that this is how, you know, I'm, I'm sure I will have some you know, moments of frustration out there or moments of, you know, nerves or anxiety, but I've planned out how I want to talk to myself in those moments. And Mm. I think it's, it's something that people can improve at over time, you know, but I think it starts with awareness. And then I think, you know, once you realize, once you can catch yourself talking to yourself in a certain way, maybe it's even in a, you know, in a more negative way, then you can start to implement and maybe add in certain specific self-talk phrases or words that that you've planned out. Yeah, that's so powerful because I believe a lot of times, especially like a game like tennis is, it's a sometimes deemed a reactionary sport, but being able to have a proactive mindset where you have prerequisites, right? It's almost like you're putting on the body, body armor and the sword before going to battle mentally to be able to endure some of those difficult circumstances. And I think that that's a tremendous uh, piece of advice that the listeners are going to be able to take away to know that resiliency doesn't just come in a whim. It comes because of what I believe, true preparation, true awareness, true alignment. And, you know, through that, another interesting topic that it looks like you like to touch on is developing those short and long-term goals uh, I know we talked about establishing a why and having some positive self-talk. What are some ways that you're able to establish goal setting with the folks you work with? Yeah, no, I, I think there's there's different ways to do it. I mean, I think, um, you know, a lot of people have goals that would maybe be thought of as outcome goals. You know, maybe it's a player that wants to be number one in the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a player that wants to, play in college, a junior player that wants to play in college or wants to get a college scholarship. Maybe it's a 3.0 player that wants to, you know, reach the the 3.5 level of NTRP or someone wants to, you know, increase their UTR or world tennis number. Those are all outcomes that we want. So those would would be referred to as outcome goals. So I think what we can do is we can take it, we can start, with an outcome goal. And I think it's, you know, it's fine or it's great even to have them, but what we can do is we don't want to stop there. We want to take that outcome goal and we want to start to break it down. And I think, you know, breaking that down into process goals, process goals Mm. really being the controllable process that we want to put into place in order to make that outcome 
happen or at least give ourselves a better chance. Again, if, if our outcome goal is to be number one in the world, there's no guarantees that that happens. If our outcome goal is to get a college scholarship or, or any of those outcome goals, those aren't fully within our control. But the process that we put in place to try to get mm. there is within our control. And actually, often, oftentimes, the first thing I talk about with somebody or one of the first things is this concept of controlling the control. Yes. And, Good podcast you know, out there of many folks that have been able to talk to you about that. And I'm a big believer in controlling your controllables. So I'd love you to continue there. Absolutely. No. And I think it's, it's just important to be able to, you know, can you really lay out what's out of our control, what's in our control? And then, you know, let's really try to focus on those controllable things. But I think with the process, it's very connected, right? Can Mm. we put in certain process goals? So, you know, let's say it's that 3.0 player who's trying to, you know, get to the 3.5 level. Okay. Can we put in certain process goals that they you know, they can implement. And I think we can use smart goal framework to maybe make those process goals a little bit better. Can we make things more specific, more measurable, attainable, uh, you know, relevant and time-based, you know, like, can we set goals instead of, I want to, you know, improve on my game. How can we make that more specific? What aspects of your game can we measure? Can we figure out ways to, to measure your progress? Can we make sure goals are attainable, you know, as we start to break them down? Even if we have a big, ambitious goal, can we make sure that some of these smaller pieces Mm. are really attainable? Are these smaller pieces relevant to the bigger goal? And then time-based, can we have a finish line? So maybe instead, you know, can we set up a goal, something like, let's say I identified to get from 3.0 to 3.5, I really need to work on my serve. Maybe a process goal could be, you know, three times a week, I want to hit, I want to spend 30 minutes with Mm. a big basket of balls. um, And I want to set up cones for myself and I'm going to track how many first serves and second serves I make from each side. And, you know, and, and then maybe how many cones I hit Mm. and I'm going to track that for, I'm going to do this for the next two months. So it's three times a week for 30 minutes for two months. So with a goal like that, just as an example, that's very specific in terms of, you know, how I'm trying to work on my game. I'm trying to work on my first and second serves. I can measure my progress each day. It's attainable that I can do that. I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, instantly increase my serve percentage, right. right? So maybe that serve percentage is the the goal that we're trying to reach with with this uh, process that we're putting in place. Um, and there, you know, it's, it's attainable, right? And it's... It, it, you know, it's realistic. I'm not saying I'm going to spend five hours every single day on this and it's time-based. There's a finish line, right? Two months. So I think, you know, players can think about how can they really break down big ambitious goals into smaller and smaller pieces Mm. into, you know, bite-sized pieces so that it it feels very easy to implement and a lot easier to, you know, to, to make sure that, that they're reached. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, and I just spoke about this on one of my most recent episodes of, of making a change, right? Being able to find ways to make positive change in your life. And sometimes one of my Achilles heels is I'll sit, set these big audacious goals or, a, you know, something that I want to go after and being able to make it more incremental to where it's not as daunting, And that leads me to a question that both you and I can relate to is, you know, we were college tennis players and I look at the most recent NCAA stat. If you're trying to play division one college tennis out of all the high school participants, it's what 1.6 or 1.3% go on and play division one tennis. And it makes me think about your journey. You know, I had to make some pretty unique decisions and create a mindset and create short-term and long-term goals to accomplish playing division one. But for you, I'm really intrigued for you to share your story about, you know, walk us through the path of what it took you to accomplish that goal of playing college tennis. And, you know, as you went on your journey, how did the, the mindset piece and the psychology portion of it become what ignites you to what you're doing today? It's a great question. I mean, I I think, you know, when I was a junior player, I I definitely didn't have a fully formed, you know, mental game by any means. I don't, 
I don't know if I do today necessarily either, but I think the one thing that I really did understand is that if I'm playing an opponent and they are losing their cool and not handling their emotions well, if I can keep my cool and and not do that, I put myself in a better chance of, of winning. So something as, you know, basic and, and simple as that is some, you know, one piece that I think I understood as a, as a teenager. Um, and I think I, you know, in certain ways I prided myself on that. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, there were definitely times where I'd get, get frustrated with myself or get pretty nervous and tight. Um, but I think I understood that. So I think, you know, a combination of me, you know, really trying to, to control my emotions, maybe sometimes to a fault where I would, that would lead to some nerves, um, paired with just me being really passionate about the sport and really into it. I mean, I remember I would hit tennis balls on the side of my house, you know, in awesome. my, in my driveway, you know, over and over again, I would go to these Saturday night, uh, tournaments that they would have at the local club that, you know, just give me a lot of repetitions of, of match play, which I think mm. is something that sometimes players don't necessarily get enough of. And then all of a sudden they're in a match and the nerves can be overwhelming because they haven't had the reps. Yeah. Um, match, match tough, right? Definitely. Yeah. So I, I think as I look back again, you know, in the moment, maybe it didn't necessarily feel like that, but I think as I look back, you know, I, I think I put in place certain things accidentally or intentionally in terms of just, you know, getting the reps in, getting the match play in, trying to be mentally tough as I understood it at the time that that helped me to to achieve my goal which was to you know not to play division one I. I wasn't at that level but it was you know to to play division three and yeah. um and and we had a pretty pretty cool journey with our team as well where you know before i had arrived i think the the few years before i had arrived um we hadn't won any conference matches uh. and then my, my it definitely wasn't just me but my class of players and there was a few of us uh, i think like th- four of us who started on the team my freshman year who you know were were new to the team and really transformed the team we got all the way to the conference finals and i think more than anything we sort of transformed the culture in a lot of ways i think uh. there, yeah i think sort of there was a culture of you know maybe expecting that you know, okay, we 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 lost to this team last year. We're probably going to lose again. And I think, you know, we went on a long winning streak during that season. And I think just you know the culture really started to to change in a really positive way. There was a lot more self belief within the mm. team. We'd go up against a team that had beaten us in the past, and rather than those sorts of expectations, there was this belief that not that we would win, but that we could. That winning was a possibility and that winning could be achieved, which I think is, you know, something that I try to talk about with, with players that I work with now. I think that's, you know, confidence is believing that you can do it, not necessarily that you will because that's out of our control, but that, okay, I can do it. I have the ability to do it. I have the tools, you know, mental and physical tools. It's just about, can I access them and can I utilize them to give myself the best possible chance when I'm out there? That's, that's awesome. And that certainly resonates with me in my current time. I'm currently a assistant high school tennis coach here in Colorado at a school called Valor Christian, which has a pretty decent boys tennis team. We were runner up state champions last year in the state of Colorado, lost to this team by the name of Cherry Creek which is predominantly known in the country as one of the most winningest programs amongst any sport in the nation. And I've been very humbled to have several guests on my podcast who are former players of Cherry Creek have gone on, played Stanford, gone on to be top hundred in the world. And, you know, long of the story short, since I have a sports psychologist on the BTB project, I'm going to tap into some of your services and support here for a second, because I see so many times when a kid goes on a court and there's this history, there's this kind of stigma of when there's a, a predominant force like a Cherry Creek High School on the other side of the net, all of a sudden you're mentally creating an outcome in your mind before a ball is even struck on your racket. I call it losing to the jersey or losing to the name on the shirt. So based off of some of those things that you experienced in your college team 
to where you change the culture. We were right there at the finish line last year. We're going into this year as actually uh, yet again another contending year. I'd love to hear from you if you had a chance to sit down with a group of 11 guys that had a chance to make some history knowing what Colorado tennis history has been in high school. How would you help them? It's a great question. Um, I think one starting point in terms of a mindset that could be applied here is the challenger threat mindset. And I think we can decide to look at different situations, really all situations, as either a challenge, an opportunity, or as a threat. And I think if I'm looking at a situation as a threat, I'm thinking about what do I have to lose, right? Okay, we might lose to them again. You know, maybe they play really well and, you know, maybe it's it's not as close. You know, maybe I'm playing in a match in my, you know, maybe not in the high school example, but maybe I'm playing in a match and my UTR goes down. You know, maybe it hurts my chances of playing in the college level. So it's very easy to to look at things in terms of what do I have to lose as a threat. Or we can look at things as a challenge. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, trying to look at things as a challenge, be eager for the opportunity, for the possibility, right? Think about what you have to gain. As you said, you know, the the chance to to make history, the chance to do something that hasn't been done before Mm -hmm. is, is exciting, should be, should be really exciting. So I think you could start with that sort of a mindset. And then I think, yeah, starting to, you know, implement some of these specific tools um, in order to help you get there. Things like self-talk and, you know, self-talk, I think, can be very linked to to confidence. Can we give ourselves reasons to feel confident that are that are based in reality, right? Not like, oh, those Cherry Creek guys aren't, aren't <laughs> that good. You know, this is going to be easy. That's right. that's cocky. That's cocky. That's not confident. To me, confidence is, hey, I know how hard I've been working. I know, you know, maybe on the mental game and of the physical game, I know, you know, we were right there with them last year. We've identified certain areas of our game that we've improved on. And, you know, let's let's put ourselves in the best position to, to try to do something special. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we can look at the, the self-talk piece. I think routines is another piece that we haven't necessarily talked about that yet. But I think, yeah. you know, make, making sure that we have a system, you know, in between points, right? Tennis matches are are long. And, you know, generally you have about 20 seconds in between points. And I I would ask, you know, the people on that team and whoever's listening, you know, how are you spending that time in between points? I think for most people, it's maybe not in the best possible way. I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, they're, they're criticizing themselves. Maybe they're upset about the last point. Maybe they're upset about a line call that their opponent made two games ago. Um, so I think having a system and a routine that you can use in between points to process one point, reset, and then really focus on the next one so that whatever happened in that last point, we're not letting it impact the next point. So that's, mm-hmm. I, I think, to long answer to, to your question, but I think it starts with sort of that challenge mindset and being eager about the possibility and the opportunity in front of you, and then starting to implement different tools, whether they be self-talk, routines, visualization, in terms of you know visualizing and sort of mentally rehearsing yourself, doing what you want yeah. to do and, and achieve. And so I think that's so those are sort of the, the, in my view, two of the big pieces. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing up the routine piece because even outside of the game of tennis, we're all creatures of habit. And it's the routines that we set each and every day that can quite honestly determine the outcome of our day. I'm a big believer in morning rituals, a big believer in trying to bookend your day, how you start, how you finish typically creates a little bit more consistency in the middle, right? And it stems to into tennis matches. And it made me think, with some of the changeovers we watched with the pros and, you know, Nadal fiddling with the water bottles or, or Alcaraz doing the same, you know, you see, you see the tour players and I've been fortunate enough to, to see tennis at the highest level on, on TV, like all of us, or, or see it live, which is even more of a humbling experience because these thoroughbred athletes are so highly ritualized. It is, it's frightening. 
And some people might not understand it. You see Nadal and him prepping for a serve, and it's like, is this guy ever going to serve? Or Novak bouncing the ball 650 times? Like, no one's going to quite understand. But I'd just love to maybe get your two cents on routine. Do you see that as well in the pros? And how, like, if, if you're putting all these things that we're talking about, like, where does routine rank in – trying to accomplish either a, an outcome of a tennis match or an outcome of accomplishing a, a big goal? How important is it? I think it's as important as, as any, as, as any tool. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think we can, you know, look at top ATP and WTA players and see how they use their own routines. You mentioned uh, Djokovic, you mentioned Nadal, you know, I think Sharapova, yeah. Um, is a great example of this too, how she would, you know, turn her back to the court and, you know, would, would be seen playing with her strings and yet yeah, Djokovic bouncing the ball and Nadal going through his, you know, elaborate ritual. And yeah, I think, you know, really what a routine does is it, it creates, it gives us that, that mental space that we need to focus on other things. So rather than, you know, we're, we're sort of going through the process and going through the steps of our routine and it gives us that space to you know first of all it makes us feel more comfortable right. makes us feel more comfortable can make us feel more confident because we've done that over and over and over again this is how we put one point behind us and, and start to refocus on the next one um, but it also gives us that space to focus on what we want to focus on mm. and that should be the next point right it's there's nothing we can we can't going back to controlling the controllables can't yep. control the last point can't control what's gotten us to that point you know what's what's happened earlier in the match can't control the future in terms of what might happen we only have control over that next point we only can impact that next point we can't fully control it um so i think through going through a, a a solid routine and having, you know, some of these key steps in terms of processing a point, you know, and processing the last point, not just ignoring it, but recognizing what happened more objectively, starting to reset, you know, really trying to use our breath and then really trying to have a clear game plan for the next point. You know, I think focusing on your first couple shots can really, and that's, you know, all based on the, the 16 second cure by Dr. Dr. Jim Lear. Yes. Um, you know, a Denver, a lot of tennis Denver icon. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I, actually I played, saw his, him. played his son, Jeff, and uh, that was a, a tough experience, but yeah, go ahead. You saw him recently. I, in Colorado, actually awesome. out in, uh, out in golden. I think it was in late, late April. Yeah. He was talking, he gave a talk to, um, yeah, a, a large group of people. I, I was there and, and, and really enjoyed him, you know, hearing what he had to say. And he's done, you know, excellent work. And I think something like the 16 second cure, you know, that, that, that he developed and that I think can can really be a nice foundation for for tennis players. You know, having being able to go through the steps and put one point behind us, reset and then really refocus on that next point. I think if we can get to that step three of, you know, preparing and having a plan for that next point generally almost always we're not focused on whatever just happened so i think it can you know whether it's on the tennis court whether it's other areas of life you mentioned the you know morning and bedtime routine which i i think is excellent and yeah i think it can add a lot more structure to the rest of our day or the rest of our tennis game when we can control those aspects of things in between points during changeovers you know that sort of downtime can we really maximize that time in a positive way rather than letting our thoughts take over as they often do. Yeah. And you bring up another great point with breathing and one of these other aspects that you tap into is, you know, kind of wellness, meditation, mindset. And I want to go there for a little bit because listen, tennis is a game that can be pretty challenging uh, you see pickleball starting to fire up, taking over a lot of the tennis courts and maybe maybe slightly easier to play. But nonetheless, you know, a lot of these things that we go through as tennis players, you experience those same things in each and every day of life. And I've been in a situation, you know, growing up where I had to make some pretty tough decisions on how I was going to move forward 
You know, I remembered uh, being bullied pretty bad, led to some pretty bad weight gain. I'm a child of an alcoholic who lost my mom when I was 20. Kind of had everything but the kitchen sink thrown at me in some cases. And I just remember those moments of tapping into all of these different facets that were weaving in in this conversation. And it makes me think of, okay, you're a sports psychologist helping a lot of teams, a lot of individuals with performance and becoming the best version of themselves in their respective sport. As I talk through that and just, you know, being real, like life, life happens. And I'm sure you got a a story and a testimony yourself, but nonetheless, when it comes to some of these mindfulness slash meditation slash breathing, when, when, when it gets so intense that you just don't know what to do. And listen, mental health is a very real thing. People giving up, waving the white flag, very real thing. As I'm talking through that, what are maybe some steps that you would walk somebody through that ready to wave the white flag, that doesn't know what to do? Where's a good place to start for them when it comes to the meditation, the breathing side, as I walk you through that? Yeah, there's def- definitely a lot there. And I think, you know, Colvin, first of all, thank you for, for I appreciate you you sharing that. And it sounds like a lot, you know, it sounds like a lot. And I think, you know, I would imagine that some of those early experiences, you know, in many ways shaped you, you know, to the person that you've become today. But no, I, I appreciate you you sharing that. Yeah, I, I think as it relates to sort of some of the, you know, wellness and some of the things that you're saying, you know, I want to be a little careful here just because just based on sort of the side of things that I do operate on more on, you know, the performance side, yeah, you know, rather than on the mental health side. But I think you, you bring up a lot of really important points in terms of mental health and things, things of that nature. What I would say though, you know, you, you brought up meditation and breathing and I think things like that can be extremely useful in tennis in yep. sport and in life. Yep. Um, and I think in recent years, we've seen more and more athletes talk about how they've used meditation and how they've used breathing techniques. And I think you can also sometimes see it on the court. Um, and, you know, people like Djokovic, people like Iga Spiontek, mm. uh, Bianca Andreescu, um, you know, LeBron has talked about it. Yeah. Uh, LeBron works with Calm, one of the biggest meditation apps. As, as one of his big sponsors. So, you know, I think we've reached, a, fortunately, we've reached a point where there's less stigma around psychology. People are opening up about mental health. People are opening about up about mental performance, how they're, you know, working on their mental game, you know, on, on the court as yes. well. And I think something like meditation can absolutely be a really nice way to bring more awareness to everything that you do. Um, and I don't think I'm overstating that. I think no, that's great. No. Yeah. I, I think it, you know, it really gives people the ability to start to notice the present moment more. And, you know, through mindfulness meditation, we can start to notice what's happening in this moment, right? What's happening around me. Maybe it's certain sounds, maybe smells, maybe it's, you know, certain things I'm seeing. Right. So what's happening around me and what's happening within me? What are the thoughts I'm having? What Mm. are the physical sensations? Is there an itch? So, you know, I think through meditation, we can start to really recognize what's happening this moment. And we can use our breath as a tool to connect to the present moment. But inevitably, we don't stay in the present all the time. Nobody does. And we wind up thinking about the past. Right. Why did I why did I say that thing earlier today? Or why did I make that decision? Or why did I double fault that last point. Or we start thinking about the future. What am I having for dinner? You know, what's going to happen to me, you know, in a year, you know, am I going to win this match? Mm. So I think inevitably, you know, we're trying to, through meditation, we're trying to focus on the present, but we start focusing on the past or in the future, but then we have a tool, which is our breath to bring us back to the present. And over time we get better and better at that in terms of coming back to the present time and time again. And I think that really is what the, the exercise is. And I think it's, you know, if we can view it as a tool and as a skill, then that's, 
that's really the right way to be framing it. Sometimes people will meditate and it, it will be challenging for them. And they'll say, Oh, I didn't, I don't think I did it so well. Right. It didn't, yep. didn't work for me. And I think it, it really is that ability to notice when we've been distracted, thinking about the past or the future, thinking about something else and come back to the present. And just like we can use that tool when we're meditating, we can use that tool on the court. You know, we want to be, we talked about the in-between point routine. Yeah. We want to be present and focused on that next point, not focused on whatever's happened or whatever could happen later in the match. And I think, you know, once we want to recognize and be aware of where our thoughts and where our attention is in any moment. And then if it's, if we're distracted, have that ability to come back to the present and we can use our breath to do that. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, Josh. And I know that I brought up some heavy topics on top of what we're talking about with sport performance, but what a tremendous way to bridge the gap with tools, right? So in that moment in my life, and I appreciate the kind words of, it wasn't always easy, but I have people ask me all the time, how'd you do it? And I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I had some of the tools that I have today or we have today that we're helping other people with, but I wish I had. And now you can kind of probably see the puzzle pieces being put together of why I'm passionate about asking those open-ended questions because I kind of wanted someone to ask me those open-ended questions myself back in the day to get me talking, to get me to maybe not internalize or focus too much on the past or focus too much on the future, but to be present, right? And I've been tremendously impacted by another great podcaster, Jay Shetty, you know, who was a Buddhist monk and you know, did his deal in India. And he has a a great statement by saying in India, when kids are, are going to school before they learn the ABCs, they learn how to breathe. And as a high school coach, as an athlete, as a college coach, one of the first things I see suppressed when someone is under stress is they stop breathing. Right. And I think it's just a kind of a tremendous awareness piece for the listeners to understand that controlling your controllables, being mindful, being present, getting into those moments of recognizing awareness, no matter the circumstance and getting back to present, getting back to that point that you're playing. I mean, it's, it sounds easy, but at the same time, to your point, it's being able to know what the tools are, begin to implement the tools in day in and day life and slowly but surely keep sharpening the ax to the point to where you have a resiliency to enter either euphoric circumstances or difficult circumstances to where you're able to control your controllables. So as I kind of button all of this up, how does that make you reflect on this? I think you buttoned it up well. I think it's, you know, in in both life and life in, in the big picture, our tennis careers and, you know, in, in the big picture as well, to, to some extent and are, you know, within a match to, you know, more in the, in the micro um, there are ups and downs, right. there are ups and downs and everybody's ups and downs look different. Um, but having the resilience to be able to handle those both, you know, long-term and short-term having different tools that you can apply um, makes it so that you have a better chance to, to handle those moments the way that you want to. And you're, you know, you brought up the point of controlling the controllables that that is the controllable piece, how we respond to situations, Mm. right? The, The situation itself is often out of our control, but how we choose to respond, what the attitude is that we bring as we're responding to a situation, how we decide to breathe in that stressful, challenging situation, you know, how we talk to ourselves, how we, you know, visualize and, you know, mentally rehearse what we do next. Um, You know, is there a routine that we use? All of these pieces are really how we can choose to meaningfully and hopefully effectively respond to whatever situation life or a tennis match or, you know, but, but more so life throws at us. So I think these, these same sorts of tools that I, you know, use with athletes in terms of, you know, let's try to improve performance can absolutely be used in, you know, outside of life. And and people often tell me that they, they can. And as I said earlier, but I'll say it again, you know, I, I love that that's 
over that overlaps with your mission in yeah. terms of you know it's it's about tennis but it's it's about a lot more than that it's about how can we learn skills and tools that make you the best version of yourself make you a bit better every day and and i i absolutely love that mission and uh yeah i think it's it's underlined a lot of the things that we've talked about today it's well said josh and respectfully i love your mission and being able to take really the the psychology piece i mean it's so important to implement tools to help people maintain that alignment to be present and as we're wrapping up, I just would love for you to tell the listeners more about where we can find you, you know, what you're up to and maybe what some of your future plans are. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, people can, people can find me on my website, tiebreakerpsych.com. And, you know, you, if, if people are interested in working with me or, you know, potentially that I, I do offer a free introductory session, 30 to 45 minutes is a chance for us to meet and, you know, learn about, you know, your goals and, and see if it's a good fit to move forward. As we've talked about earlier, also have a podcast that I'm the co-host of tennis IQ podcast. Um, we could talk, you know, learn more about, about the mental side of the sport. Um, and in terms of, you know, other goals or, or maybe the future starting to think about a book at some point, yes. figuring out exactly what, that might look like. I think that's, that's something that uh, I'm definitely starting to think more and more about. So that's stay, stay tuned on that and, and definitely have some, some, some work ahead of me on that one. Well, I, I got a couple pieces in place myself with that mindset of looking at a book. So maybe we got a part two down the road of uh, putting our heads together to get some content uh, in place respectfully to continue to be on mission to, help others. Josh Berger, man, I just am grateful for you to have spent some time with me today on the BTB project. And as always, continue to inspire, continue to encourage. And I really appreciate all you do. Thank you, Coleman. I, it really means a lot. And and likewise, really, really appreciate everything that, that you do for the people that you work with, you know, in person, for the people that you reach, you know, in other ways and on the podcast. So really love to see all the impactful work that you're doing. And, and I really appreciate you inviting me on the podcast today. This has been an awesome conversation. Excellent. What an honor to have Josh Berger join the podcast today. There were so many tremendous takeaways from our conversation, really stemming back to being present and the importance of whether you're diving deep into a tennis match and you're trying to win that critical point and not thinking too far in the past and not thinking too far ahead, or even when it comes to your training, what you're doing off the court, whether it's your rituals, your habits, developing tangible ways each and every day to develop resiliency when it comes to the mental side of sports. Josh did such a tremendous job of articulating the importance of implementing tools that allow us to go after our goals and to accomplish dreams and aspirations that we have. Listen, if this podcast inspired you or if Josh's words resonated to where you believe it could help someone that you know, do me a favor and like and subscribe to the BTB Project. Share the episode with friends and family or colleague. We're going to continue to provide phenomenal guests, incredible content, and to continue to build the BTB mission. Impossible's nothing. Thanks for checking it out. And until next time, take care.